podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries, on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast. Today is Friday. It is the 2nd of February. Hope you're all well and hope you're all enjoying some decent weather wherever it is that you are. Uh, We had two games in the Premier League last night. West Ham won, Bournemouth won. Kurt Zuma plays Calvin Phillips into trouble. Phillips kind of panics. Solanke nips in. Solanke scores. Initially not given, ruled an offside, but on review, the ball came off Phillips and diverted itself to Solanke. And it was a perfectly good goal. Um, 61 minutes, Mohamed Kudus is brought down in the box by Lloyd Kelly. Up steps Ward-Prowse. Ward-Prowse scores 1-1. Bournemouth missed a couple of really good chances in the first half. Semenyo had two good chances. And... 
really and truly they should have been out of sight before West Ham woke up in that game. But Bournemouth will be happy with that point. That's a good point away from home against the top six team. And it moves Bournemouth to 26 points. They're now five points behind Chelsea, three points behind Wolves. They do have a game in hand. That game, obviously, as I said, a a dozen or so times is against Luton at home. So we'll wait and see how that one pans out. But Bournemouth are going to be very, very happy with how the season has gone, especially given the bad start they had. This was a good result. Having lost the last two, this is a good result. For West Ham, it's three three draws in a row, but unbeaten in the last five. They did well to manoeuvre their way through AFCON. They've done well to manoeuvre their way through the absence of Paqueta, who's still injured. I think they can be very, very happy with where they sit. They are seven points off Villa. They are looking over their shoulder at Manchester United, at Newcastle, probably at Brighton and Chelsea as well. But they're in a strong position to claim a European spot for next year, and that's really all they'll have wanted. Um, Wolves three, Manchester United four. Manchester United's best half of the season, maybe, or one of them in the first half, saw them go 2-0 up. First goal is well worked through the low into Hoysberg. He lays it off. Oh, Hoysberg. Holmund. Hoysland. Mixing up three different Danish players. Pierre-Emile Hoysberg. Holmund, who's the defensive midfielder at Sporting. And Rasmus Hoysland, who's the striker at Manchester United. Uh, He lays it off for Rashford. And it's a really nice finish that gives the goalkeeper no chance. The second one is, again, a well-worked move. They built... Build from the right across to Rashford. Rashford finds Shaw on the overlap. Shaw hits a low cross that takes a couple of deflections, the last one of which is off Rasmus Hoysland, who's lying on the floor and has no idea that the ball's hit him until it's into the back of the net. Uh, but he gets the goal and fair play. 71 minutes, Wolves score. Pablo Sarabia from the penalty spot after Pedro Neto was fouled by Casemiro. Wolves are back in the game. Wolves have been better in the second half than they were in the first half. But four minutes later, Scott McTominay scores from a set piece. Corner comes in. It kind of hits him in the head, more so than he heads it. And it goes, bounces down and up and goes in. Um, Once again, proving that he might just be United's best attacking weapon. 85 minutes, Max Kilman pulls one back for Wolves after United failed to clear their lines from a set piece. And that sets up a good finish. Can Wolves nab a point? Well, it looks like they can because Pedro Neto gets the ball on the 95th minute, puts inside onto his left foot and wraps the ball back into the corner. Really, really nice finish. Really well taken goal. Looks like Wolves are going to get something from this game and United have thrown away another lead. Except Kobe Manu didn't read the script for that and he scored an absolutely brilliant solo goal on 97 minutes. It's an absolutely outstanding goal. Picks the ball up, turns, beats a couple of players and then uses the last defender to just guide the ball in around the back pole, in around the back pole. It's it's a great goal. It's a great goal. Uh, Credit to him. He does look a hell of a talent. He really does look a hell of a talent. United get three points. That puts them in or keeps them in seventh in the league. Um, 
but there's no way they can be happy with how that game played out and the fact that it ended up needing that late goal to give them the win. They had their best 11 on the pitch last night starting that game. And like I said, at times they did look good. At times they did not look good. And they are the second team of all the Premier League teams to concede 50 goals in all competitions now, which is very, very concerning if if you're a Manchester United fan. To concede 50 goals at this point in the year really is not good. 32 conceded in the league, two conceded in the FA Cup, three conceded in the EFL Cup, and 15 conceded in the league or in the Champions League. So 52 goals conceded this season, 50 of which have been conceded, if I'm not mistaken, by Andre Onana. 50 goals conceded by him. But Yinder's only played one game. Tom Heaton hasn't played. Dean Henderson didn't play before he left. Vitek hasn't played. Onana has played 31 games and conceded 50 goals. That is abysmal. That is genuinely abysmal. Thirty-two games played, fifty-two goals conceded. That is shocking, absolutely shocking. Considering the money spent, Onana cost fifty million. Varane was forty. Martinez was fifty-five. Delo, when they bought him, I think was like twelve. Shaw, when they bought him, was thirty-four million. That's ten years ago, though. That's the equivalent of paying about 70 million now. Casemiro costs 60 odd million to be the defensive midfielder. And they're still conceding goals at that rate. That's very, very poor. Very, very poor. But that front four did look good at times last night. Garnacho right, Fernandez is the 10, Rashford left, Hoysland up front. That did look good. Menu looks good. Now he's very young and. He shouldn't be starting, but he does look like a very promising player for the future. When I say he shouldn't be starting, I mean United should not have to start him because of the other players that they've spent a lot of money on. I know Mason Mount is injured at the moment, but Christian Eriksen's there on big wages. You know, They've spent a lot of money in, in the midfield over the years, including Paul Pogba, of course. For them to be where they are after all that money spent is... Is not a good sign. Not a good sign at all. Um, But that's where we are. That's where we stand with the Premier League. And obviously we've got a full round of games. Wolves are 11th, I should point out. We've got a full round of games this weekend that we'll get into with Guy after the break. Uh, Today we've had one game in the Asian Cup thus far. And Jordan beat Tajikistan 1-0. Kanonov with an own goal on 66 minutes was all it took and Jordan go through Australia versus South Korea is kicking off in about 15 minutes. So that's one to look forward to 
Uh, by the time you hear this, that game will almost certainly be over. Um, and then tomorrow, Iran versus Japan in the early kickoff, Qatar versus Uzbekistan in the 3.30, which I don't think many people will be watching because there will be, obviously, Premier League games on at that time. There is AFCON today as well. You get Nigeria and Angola in a 5 p.m. kickoff and Democratic Republic of Congo versus Guinea in an 8 p.m. kickoff. So all very good there. We're going to take an early break, come back, going to run through the transfer window, who did what, who didn't do anything. We'll take another break after that, and then it'll be Guy, and we'll go through the 10 Premier League games for this weekend. So see you after this. Right, welcome back. So uh, let's go through A to W, what the Premier League teams did in this window. Arsenal didn't sign anybody. They had a bunch of players leave. And they sold a couple of young players while also releasing runner Alex Runnerson and ending the, one of the more bizarre Premier League careers that there's ever been. Uh, Aston Villa <coughs> signed Costa Nedelkovic uh, from Red Star Belgrade. I believe he'll arrive in the summer. And Joe Gauci from Adelaide United, a young goalkeeper that by all accounts, uh, is quite good. Um, don't know much about him now, to be totally honest. The young Serbian kid, uh, Nedeljkovic, he's a right back. And yeah, it looks like he will arrive in the summer. Um, they also signed Morgan Rogers from Middlesbrough. Can play up front, can play wide. Versatile attacking player. Was very, very highly rated when he first came through at West Brom. Went to Man City. It didn't really work out. He had some loans. They didn't go great. But he seemed to find himself up at Borough, and now he's moved on. I still don't fully understand why Villa sold Cameron Archer in the summer to now buy Morgan Rogers. I think I'd rather have Cameron Archer. Um, And then they signed Lino Sosa, who is a Portuguese born English youth international. Um, He's a left back, very promising by all accounts, and he's going to spend the rest of the year, the rest of the season rather, on loan with Plymouth, where Villa can keep an eye on him. They sold Finazaz, they released Bertrand Traore, they loaned out Leander Dendonker, and they loaned a bunch of other young players. Bournemouth signed Callan McKenna from Queen's Park in Scotland club where Andy Robertson sort of began his career. He is a young goalkeeper, 17. And they signed Enos Yunal, who is a very talented striker, but very inconsistent. Um, he came through the City Academy after they, well, they, he was at, he was at Bursaspor. City nicked him when he was like 17 or 18 and had him for a couple of years. He had three different loans there. He went to Twente on loan and was brilliant for them. And that earned him a move to Villarreal, but the Villarreal move didn't work out. He had a couple of loans from there. He joined Tatafe a few years ago. And to his credit, he had a couple of good seasons there where he really did impress. Now, this current season, he has not done a whole lot. I think he's had some injuries, but he is moving to Bournemouth. He's still young only 26, so they're getting his prime years. And 
as a backup to Solanke, someone that could play with Solanke. And then if Solanke goes, they have someone that might be ready-made to step in. Does a lot of the same things as Solanke, so it makes sense. Uh, they loaned out a bunch of players as well, notably Hamid Traore going to Napoli, Joe Rothwell going to Southampton, Kiefer Moore going to Ipswich, Emmy Marconde is going to Hibernian, and David Brooks joining Joe Rothwell at Southampton. Brentford signed Eunice Emre Connick from Sivaspor. Uh, he is a defensive midfielder, 18 years of age. They signed Sergio Regulon, who obviously gives them a new option at left wing back. They so signed Hacken Raffin Valdemarsen, the young Icelandic goalkeeper, who's very highly regarded, and we'll see how he does. And then they signed Ben Krauhaus from Bromley, who I imagine is for their B team for next year. He's going to be loaned out, I think, for the remainder of this season. He's an attack-minded player. Also loaned out uh, Miles Perth-Harris, Charlie Good. Brighton signed Valentin Barkle, left-back, left-sided midfielder. I think he might play the Solly March role off the right. For them, very creative player, very, very promising, big future. They signed uh, Adrian Misulu, who is the young Romanian, plays as a winger. He has gone on loan to Vietas Arnhem for the first half of the season. They signed Stephen Hall from Adelaide United, Caelan Vickers from Reading, Kamari Doyle from Southampton, and Josh Robertson from Sunderland, all young players. So we'll see who they do, how they do over the next few years. Yasini Yari, they recalled from his Coventry loan, which didn't work out. He's gone back out on loan to Blackburn. Uh, Mo De Hood is gone on loan to Stuttgart. Uh, Jeremy Sarmiento is gone on loan to Ipswich. And Jensen Weir was recalled from a loan and sent back out on loan. He has joined Port Vale. Burnley signed David Datrofafana on loan. They signed Lorenz Asinon, who they have a... He's on loan with an option to buy. Um, he is a right-back, 23 years of age. Maxime Esteve, signed from Montpellier. I think that's a loan with an option to buy as well, if I'm not mistaken. The option would be, I think, if they stay up, they'll buy him. He looked absolutely miserable in his pictures. Um, that's about all I can really say. They needed a centre-back. I don't think he's the centre-back they needed. I think they needed someone older, a bit more experienced, but they get a centre-back, so it will help. Um, Anna Saruri joined Hull on loan. Scott Twine joined Bristol on loan. Michael Obafemi went to Millwall, and Connor Roberts went to Leeds. Chelsea brought Cesare Caicedo back off his loan and Diego Moreira off his loan. And that's pretty much all they did. They loaned out a bunch of players, including Andre, Sant uh, Andre Santos, Ian Matson, David Datrofana, and Armando Brogia. Crystal Palace signed Adam Wharton and Daniel Muniz. Spent £30 million in total, got themselves a right-back in the midfielder, filled some needs, <laughs> loaned out some kids. Uh, Everton signed nobody. They loaned Mason Holgate to Sheffield United after his Southampton loan didn't really work out. They also loaned out some youth players. Fulham got Brogia in right at the deadline. There was talk that they'd promised the manager a bunch of money to spend and no money was forthcoming, but maybe in the summer. 
Uh, young Luke Harris has gone on loan to Exeter and a few other young players gone out on loan. Liverpool didn't sign anybody, but they sent a bunch of young players out on loan. Luton signed Tom Holmes from Reading. Uh, he's going to stay there for the rest of the season. They signed uh, Taylor Harris also from Reading. He'd stay there, I think, to the end of the season. And Daiki Hashioka from St. Truden, um, wingback, um, Japanese player who they think is going to fit in well into how they play. A couple of young loans as well there. Manchester City, they signed Claudio Echeverri, the young attacking midfielder from River Plate. He was very, very highly regarded. They also signed Alex Alcala, um, born in Stockton, home of Nick and Nate Diaz, uh, Mexican underage international. Very, very highly regarded. Be interested to see where he ends on loan because he's almost certainly going to go on loan to one of their other clubs. And they loaned out uh, Calvin Phillips, Zach Steffen, Josh Wilson, Esbrand. Manchester United brought Alvaro Fernandez back from his Granada loan and loaned out a whole bunch of players, uh, including Jaden Sancho, Hannibal Mejbri, uh, Al- Alvaro Fernandez gone another loan, Dan Gore gone on loan, Facundo Palestri gone on loan, and Isaac Hansen Aaron, who's gone to Werder Bremen. He's actually Norwegian. I said he was Swedish, or I said I think I said he was Danish yesterday. He is Norwegian. Newcastle signed Alfie Harrison from Man City, young player. See how he does there. Loaned out a bunch of young players and Isaac Hayden as well. Forrest got Gio Reyna in. They got Matt Sells in and they got Rodrigo Ribeiro in. They loaned out a number of players. They also got a couple of permanent outgoings, including Gustavo Scarpa, who heads back to Brazil. Oral Mangal has gone on a loan with an obligation to buy. Um, Emmanuel Dennis is gone to Watford. He had been somewhere else on loan, but he's gone back to Watford. Scott McKenna joined Copenhagen on loan. One that was meant to happen and then fell through was Serge Aurier, who was meant to go to Galatasaray, and that fell through at the last minute. Sheffield United got Ben Brereton, Diaz, Mason Holgate, Ego, Evo Gerbich, and Sam Curtis. So they had a pretty decent window. Uh, loaned out a bunch of kids and terminated the loan of Luke Thomas from Leicester, a loan that didn't work for anybody, unfortunately. Spurs had a busy window, signing Timo Werner, Radu Dragason, and loaning out a whole bunch of players, notably Eric Dyer, Sergio Regulon, Ashley Phillips gone on loan to Plymouth. They finally said goodbye to Hugo Lloris, and Jaffa Tanganga and even Zerbich also went on loan. West, West Ham, Brought in Calvin Phillips on loan, uh, loaned out Tilo Carrere, loaned out Connor Coventry and loaned out some kids. Wolves brought in Noah Lamina, younger brother of Mario Lamina, and they loaned out um, Sasa Kaladzic, Fabio Silva, Yerson Mosquera, and a bunch of kids. So nobody did a whole lot. Nobody did a whole lot. You've got no money spent by Arsenal. Aston Villa spent about ten million. Sorry, about twenty million in total on four players. Um, Bournemouth spent, I think, sixteen million. I think it's a loan with an option or an obligation to buy for sixteen million for Unal. So they didn't spend a whole lot. Brentford spent less than ten million. Brighton spent about 15 million. 
Burnley didn't spend anything, but they did commit, I believe, 30 million to potential summer deals. Uh, Chelsea didn't spend anything. Crystal Palace spent just over 30 million. Everton didn't spend anything. Fulham spent, I think, 750 grand plus potential add ons for the Broya loan. Liverpool didn't spend anything. Luton spent less than 10 million. City spent 12, and well, City spent 15 on the two young players they brought in. Um, United didn't spend anything. Newcastle spent less than 2 million. Forest spent, I think, 8 million, including inclusive of loan fees. Sheffield United spent less than five, including loan fees. Tottenham spent in and around 30 million, including loan fees. West Ham, just a loan fee for Phillips. I think Noel Lamina, the, the buy option is 2 million on him uh, for Wolves, and that's it. So you've got Forest, or sorry, you've got um, Palace, and you've got Spurs as your big spenders in this window. And they spent around 30 million each. Loan fee for Timo Werner and Radu Dragazin. That's what Spurs did. Loan fee for Timo Werner and Radu, Radu Dragazin. And Palace, they got Adam Wharton and Daniel Manus. Manus. Um, very, very quiet January transfer window. So there's a couple of reasons for this. Number one, there isn't a whole mess of teams at risk of relegation. There's only five, three of whom are newly promoted and probably being cautious with what they spend because two of them, it looks a near impossible task to get out of right now, that being Sheffield United and Burnley. The other is Luton, who've had a very clear plan in place since before promotion, not to overspend. And then the other two who are in that mix, they're facing point deductions for breaching FFP already. So they can't really afford to spend anything. Palace, or Palace, Forest, that's, I've mixed them up twice now. Forest made a profit on the window, which, I mean, compared to the previous windows they've had, it's a madness. Just players coming and going all the time at that club. But this summer, it was, this window was mostly players leaving. So you have that. You don't have a lot of managers whose jobs are under threat. Two of those who probably are, one is Roy, Forrest has spent money. Oh, that's three times now. Palace have spent money. Palace have spent money for Roy this window. Now, one of them is a young player that he may not play a whole lot because Roy doesn't like to play young players. But the other then is Burnley. And they're in a position where I don't know that those owners are going to be willing to spend any more money. Considering they spent a, a sizable amount in the summer, close to $100 million, maybe even a little bit more, I don't think they were going to be willing to spend a whole lot more money. But they have committed money to the summer if they stay up. The likely it is that they won't stay up. So that will just go away. But Company and Hodgson are the only two managers that you would look at the league right now and say they're under immediate threat. You could look at Pochettino, you could look at Ten Hag, but they're in, in different circumstances. One of them's at a club with an owner who doesn't know what he's doing and might just fire him because he thinks that's going to change things. And the other one is at Manchester United, who really 
can't afford another managerial change at this stage. Like they need to just ride this out at least until the summer and then have a good think about what they want to do. Like you're 400 and odd million into this manager. You get another one in, what's he going to want? He's going to want another big ball of money. Is he going to spend it any better? Is he going to spend it to add to the players he inherits? Is he going to look to get rid of the players he inherits? So there wasn't a huge need for a lot of clubs to spend. (laughs) I'm sure some would have liked to spend. But when you see Liverpool, Arsenal, United, Chelsea, and to to an extent City spend nothing in the window, plus Newcastle spend nothing in the window, like, it's not a surprise. It's not a surprise. FFP, Profit and Sustainability, is finally being enforced. And every club, including those at the top, are going to have to be a little bit careful moving forward. And some of the big clubs, Newcastle, Chelsea, Arsenal, they have spent huge amounts of money over the last few years and may be looking at fairly tight summers as well where they can't afford to spend a lot of money. Um, right, we'll take another break. When we come back, we'll have Guy Drinkle. See you soon. Right, welcome back. So, I am joined as always on a Friday by Mr. Drinkle. How are you, sir? Windy. <laughs> in the weather sense, not the other sense. Yeah, well, <laughs> thankfully enough, thankfully enough. Uh, right, Guy, we have a full slate this weekend, beginning tomorrow morning and, well, tomorrow lunchtime, and ending Monday night. So, let's get rattling through. Yeah, so we start at half 12 on TNT with Everton hosting Spurs, Dave. Um, Spurs obviously much needed win over Brentford the other day, whereas Everton, I mean, I haven't got the form guide in front of me and it might be a mix of cup competitions, etc. but it, it feels like since, oh God, since we bigged up their little run where it looked like they were going to be safe regardless, it's just dropping like a stone type deal. Yeah, um, they had that that run where they did impress. But if we look at the last six games as a form guide, they won, they lost three in a row, and now back-to-back draws. They obviously went out of the cup as well. So not good times for Everton. Whereas Spurs, having had that wobble after they lost half the team through injury, they're third in the form guide over the last six games, four wins, a draw, and a defeat. If they can tighten up at the back, I think Spurs are going to be in pretty good shape. Right now, obviously, Spurs are fourth in the table, having won during the week. Everton sit 18th, which, I mean, they got a draw away to Fulham. It's not a bad result at all. It's a positive result, and they still drop into the bottom three. So that's going to be tough on them. This is a really difficult game because Spurs are a very, very good team. And they should... They should win the game. But we know with Everton that when they turn up and they're in the mood, they're they're a match for most teams. Do you know they're not a pushover? Their their league position is definitely false because they had the points deduction. But they are a team that can give others problems. Now, these sides played just before Christmas and Spurs won that game 2-1, but Everton came really close to getting a draw. Having been demolished in the first half, Everton were really good in the second half and almost snatched a draw. Going into this one, you've got Everton with no Abdoulaye Dekure. Idrissa Gay, though, is back after AFCON. 
Seamus Coleman is a doubt. Amadou Onana is a doubt. Arnett Denjuma, who I've spent most of January seemingly trying to get a loan, he's a doubt. Deli Ali is out and Andre Gomes is out. Uh, in terms of Spurs, we have no uh, Alejo Velez, but he, I think, has gone on loan anyway. Yeah, he went to uh, Sevilla, I think. Went to Sevilla. So you've got no him, no Ryan Sessegnon. Giovanni Lacelso is a significant doubt. Papi Matar Sar, they don't think will be ready in time, but there's a possibility he will. Hyungman Son is still away. Yves Basuma is still away. And Manor Solomon is out. I'm not going to think about this too much. I'm just going to go with the better team. I'm going to pick Spurs to win 3-1. Yep, I'd probably agree with you there. Uh, Brighton Palace, Dave. Weird it's not on TV again. They just doesn't seem to ever get the uh, uh, slots it deserves on TV. But a weird one, because Brighton, albeit not too bad in the table, should be doing better. I think most would agree, but... It's, it is still Brighton in the top half of the table and they're surrounded by United and Chelsea off the top of my head. Um, but I'm sure, I think you went through De Zerbe's record last week or this week at some point since September. It's not been great in the league. Mm. Um, whereas Palace, I mean, it all depends. It doesn't really matter. Obviously, Hodgson, etc. issues, but as long as Elise and Eze are fit and they've added two much-needed signings with... Um, the lad from Blackburn and is it Munoz, the right back? Right think? back, yeah. Yeah, so it's a much-needed position. I'm not overly familiar with Wharton myself, but it, at least they've done something because it was a really stale season so far for Palace. Yeah, it was It was feeling like a wasted year. And when you've got Eze and Elise, you really can't afford to be wasting the years because you're not going to have them for long. They're players that belong at top four teams. Uh, these sides played also in December and played at a 1-1 draw. Brighton with a late goal to get an equaliser in that one. In the form table, neither of them are shining. Palace are 12th over the last six games, two wins, two draws, two defeats. Brighton are 15th, one win, three draws, two defeats. Brighton have had a lot of injuries, but the biggest issue is their defence. They've just been really, really poor at the back this year. Uh, This weekend, no Solly March, still no Enciso, no Veltman. Ansu Fati is back, but I doubt he will start. Uh, João Pedro has a, a knock that he's carrying. Matoma is away. Adingra is away. And James Milner is out. For Palace, no Decore. He's done for the season. Rob Holding is probably done for the season. Season Joel Ward is out and Ebi Eze is a doubt. But hopefully gets past fit because you want to see players like him play. Uh, with this game being in Brighton, I'm going to lean towards a Brighton than they were against Luton with, when it was an absolute embarrassment how easily they got played through. What score did you go for there, Dave? You just broke for a word. Sorry, 2-1 two, two, to Brighton. Perfect. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> Burnley Fulham. Does this one tickle your three o'clock fancy, Dave? No. No, this doesn't tickle any fancy of any means. Uh, Burnley are 17th in the form table over the last six games. One win, one draw, four defeats. Fulham are 18th. One win, one draw, four defeats. Now, obviously, it's not possible for both of these teams to lose. But if it were, that would be the choice. Um, Because they have both been really poor. Now, Fulham's 
poor form has sort of been disguised by doing well in the cups. Yeah. But, you know, you look at the league table and they're sitting 13th. They're a point ahead of Palace, three points ahead of Brentford. And as a lot of people, including myself, have said, Brentford have had a really poor season because of injuries and the lack of Ivan Tony. But, I mean, Fulham, I mean, no Mitrovic is, is a big factor, losing him, not getting to replace him properly. I know they signed Raul Jimenez, but it's not the same thing and he's not the same player mm. as he used to be. Did you cover the ball so they've had that one? Yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. much. I mean, they've had they've had a tough season as well. To their credit, though, they're at no risk of relegation, I don't think. But they played Burnley in the game before Christmas at Craven Cottage, and Burnley won 2-0. So if Burnley can repeat the trick, and I'm going to back them to, I think, that that could mean that Fulham start to get dragged backwards a bit. So for Burnley this weekend... No Redmond, no Koliashu, no Charlie Taylor, no Delqua, but Bayer should be okay. And for Fulham, no Jimenez, no Wilson, no Diop, likely no Adama Traore, no Calvin Bassi, no Foto Balatore, and no Alex Awobi. I'm gonna go for the Burnley win. I'll go I'll go repeat of the first game. I'll go two nil to Burnley. Yeah, and you'd imagine the new signings probably too late. Maybe Broya, because it's only literally he won't have to have done any moving at all. But the lads burn mm. sign that'd be too soon. You imagine? Yeah, yeah, surely too soon for them to come across and and be involved. Now they they might make the bench, but I wouldn't imagine either of them are going to start. Yep, I'd agree there. Um, next up, then we have Newcastle against Luton. I mean Luton. Surprised of the midweek, just absolutely battering Brighton. Uh, but Newcastle finally getting some players back from injuries defensively. I think Botman and Shah almost getting not back to the last season just yet, but they are settling in. Um, and the attack it's just a shame with the attack because one week they have Isaac and then he gets injured mid game, mm. but they are starting to improve a bit, I feel. Yeah, I think so as well. And they looked really good at Villa in the week. Um, Luton are currently sixth in the form table over the last seven games with three wins, a draw, and two defeats. The Toon are 13th, two wins, four defeats. But they looked really, really good against, against Villa, away from home as well, like on Villa's patch where Villa mm-hmm. have have been great. So that's a really good result and not a lot of people will replicate. I mean, Arsenal went there and lost. City went there and lost. You go to Villa Park, you're getting a win, a comfortable win like that. You've done something right. Um, Like you said, Newcastle are getting some players back and then they're losing others. So Tenali's obviously suspended for the year. Jolington may not play again this year. Nick Pope's out for a few months. Matt Target is out, Elliot Anderson is back, but Willock is working his way back, as is Harvey Barnes, as is Callum Wilson. Those three are hugely important because no Isak in all likelihood this weekend. If Wilson can make the game, that at least gives them a presence up front. If neither of them make the game, that could be that could be problematic. 
Barnes is going to be really important because they need another goal scorer in the team. And Willock gives them an energy and a drive from midfield that they don't have when Jolington's not there. So the sooner they have them back, the better. Um, For Luton, who obviously are riding high at the moment and going to come into this game really confident, uh, no Nakamba, no Anderson, no Kabure, no Tom Lockyer, obviously. Uh, Ted Menji might be okay, but Jacob Brown isn't expected to be back. Newcastle are at home. I'm going to back the tune to win at home because St. James's has been not a fortress. It's not quite strong enough to be a fortress this year, but it's been a place where they get results. So I'm going to back Newcastle to win this one 3-1. I think Anthony Gordon will cause that that Luton backline problems because he's got pace and movement, and that's where they struggle a bit. Mm-hmm. And you'd think Shah and Botman would be a lot better than Brighton at dealing with Adebayo, but I think he's done a lot better yeah. than most expected because Morris came in as oh, the yeah. man. Oh, 100%. When, like, when they came up, Morris was very much the, the, the guy in that team, the one that you were sort of looking at as he's the one that's going to have to get them their goals because... I mean, Adebayo had sort of had an odd career. He'd come through at Fulham. He'd had a bunch of loans, none of which had really worked out. He'd gone to Slough, Bognor Regis, Cheltenham, Swindon, Stevenage, and hadn't really looked like he was going to make the grade in the professional ranks, look like he might have to drop into sort of a lower non-league and try and work his way back up. But he landed at Walsall, and he's... He he just clicked at Walsall and he was really good in his second season there, but it was League Two. Like, it's not like it was a high level. It was League Two. And if uh, Luton took a chance on him, he'd had that really good start at, at Walsall in that second season. Luton took a chance, brought him in. Initially, it looked like it might be a little bit hit and miss. He had a great first full season there with 16 goals in 40 league games. But last season he dropped off to eight to, to seven in forty-two, which is not great in the championship level. So you were thinking, okay, he's gonna be a squad player, you know, kind of last 15 minutes. He's big, he's quick, he's got a decent touch. You're bringing him on when you need to go long and try and rescue a game. But he's playing off the striker and he's just causing so many problems. Whereas, you know, Morris came up having had a really good year last year with 20 goals, you thought he'll be the main man. He's only got four this season. But what he is doing really well is he's occupying forward players. Mm-hmm. He's working really hard. He's His game is actually quite similar in a lot of ways. Not He's not as dynamic, but he's doing a lot of the Mikel Antonio type of dirty work and like bullying centre-backs. And that's enabling those behind him to get opportunities. So he is hugely contributing to what Luton are doing right now. It's just that Adebayo is the one getting the goals. And it's working for them. It's working for them. But I, I think they'll lose this weekend. Yeah, definitely a tough game. But as you said, sick from the form table. Anything could happen. Like this game being on TV, Dave. Sheffield United against Villa. I mean, why is the first question. And two, uh, what, what do you make of this? Villa a bit stinky at the minute. <laughs> Very much so. Um, I I really don't know why this one is on television. Um, 
I, I actually can't think of any logical reason that this one is on television unless they're paying tribute to Cameron Archer, um, who's at the moment playing off the bench for Sheffield United. Um, these sides met earlier in the season and drew 1-1, and that was the start of Villa's, Villa's problems. They'd beaten Brentford. Kamara got sent off, if you remember, in the last last seconds of that mm-hmm. game. They played Sheffield United. They needed a 97th-minute goal to get a draw. Then they went to Old Trafford. They went 2-0 up, and then they threw it away. Then they struggled to beat Burnley. Then they drew with Everton, and then they got fairly smacked about by Newcastle. Um, It all started with that Sheffield United game. In the form table over the last six games, Villa are 11th. Now, we go back a few weeks, Villa were third in the form table. Mm -hmm. But this run of games has has really hit them hard. Um, Sheffield United, no surprise, are bottom of the form table with no wins in their last six. And of course... They've only taken ten points from the twenty-two available. Villa are still fifth, and they're you know they're only outside the top four on goals scored. So it's not like they're in complete crisis mode. Injury-wise, we have Villa missing Emmy Buendia, Tyron Mings, John Duran. It's funny there was all this talk that Chelsea were going to spend big money on John Duran. Yeah. He was the one that they kind of identified. He was going to come in and get them the goals. He's out until April. Like, what was he going to do for them? Were they going to have him even have a bother having a medical like? Um, well, get to no know for Farmer, at least. Well, that's it, yeah. The two of them could, could become fast friends. Uh, no Dina, no Torres, and Bertrand Traore obviously released. Uh, Godspeed, right. Bertie T. Um, Sheffield United, they've had injuries all season. No Basham, no Egan. Basham, I think, has now been ruled out for the season. Uh, Egan's probably the same. Baldock is out. Rian Brewster is suspended after that <laughs> comical challenge, which, in fairness, actually worked <laughs> out well for them. Uh, Ivo Gerbich is likely to miss out with a concussion. Max Lowe could be back. Tom Davies could be back. And, unfortunately, Daniel Jebison still out, and hopefully that's that's going to rectify itself quite soon. The simple fact of it is Villa have to win this game. They have to win this game. They cannot afford to drop points here. So I'm going to go for Villa to win 2-0. Yeah, I almost feel like they need a win and a good performance because it has probably been those back-to-back games against the uh, Arsenal and City since they've played well off the top of my head because I think they need to spark confidence in the fan base again. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they've done so well since Emery took over and... You know, we saw what they accomplished last season under Emery, climbing from a relegation trending team into a team that were on, on track for top four. This season, they've been, for most of the of the campaign, a top four caliber team. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen weeks so far in the season they've spent in the tops in the top five, which is very, very impressive. They haven't dropped out of that since they came into it, which was back in September. 
when they hammered Brighton. So they've been in the mix. They've actually they've been as high as second. So they need to make sure that they don't allow that negativity into the ground and then into the team because that's when things will start to go bad. This is a group of players that don't have this the experience of playing at this end of the table. Like you look through their team, Emmy Martinez, his club career was sort of sitting on the bench for Arsenal and then Villa. And all he's really known at Villa prior to Emery was failure. Um, Matty Cash was a championship player who joined Villa. All he's known there is failure. Ezri Konza, a failure is, a, is, is probably too harsh, but bottom half, relegation scraps, whatever. Mm-hmm. Same with Ezri Konza. Now, Douglas, Diego Carlos and Pau Torres have had success elsewhere, but not in England. Uh, Luca Dina in England has only played for Everton and Villa. So again, bottom half teams. The midfield, I mean, Bubakar Kamara's had success elsewhere, but you know, not in England. Douglas Luiz, he's only known this. John McGinn rose up through the divisions with them. He's only known this. Jacob Ramsey came through the academy. He's only known this. Ollie Watkins was a lower league player. Th- these lads haven't played at the top end of the Premier League before. None of them have ever played in a team that was going for the title. Even the ones that came from good clubs like Emi Martinez, Diego Carlos, Pau Torres, um, Musa Diaby, Bubakar Kamara, they've never challenged for a title before. So this is all new for them. They've never even challenged for, you know, Douglas Diego Carlos might have challenged for top four with, with Sevilla, but that's a bit it. They've never been in this, this position. It's all new to them. And heads could go quite quickly if poor results continue. But I think they'll turn it around. I think there's some strong personalities in that group. I think there's some natural leaders in that group, um, like Bubakar Kamara, like Ezri Konza, like John McGinn. I think they're strong personalities. And I think they'll be fine. Emery's a really good manager. I think I think he'll get this sorted out. What score for this one? 2-0 to the Villa. Can't believe you forgot Clement Longley as well. All his winning to the Barcelona. <laughs> Uh, right, anyway, on to Sunday. Um, uh, first game up, Bournemouth hosting Nottingham Forest, Dave. Uh, Bournemouth, most importantly, kept all their players and have now got mm. uh, players back from AFCON. Forest had a Nottingham Forest end to January and have a rejig the midfield with uh, Mangala going, probably most importantly. But they did bring some players in. Again, it just seems unnecessary. Yeah, I mean, losing Mangala is just—it's just odd, but it's clearly—it's clearly to try and help their FFP. Mm. Um, no Divock Origi. Nuno Tavares is back, but no Sanger, no Ana, no Niakata, no Koyate, no Willy Bolly, and no Serge Sar- 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 Aurier. Uh, for one reason or another, a lot of them is Afcon, obviously. Um. I, I don't know what to make of their transfer window, to be honest. It was it was just strange. I like the signing of Reyna. I think that's a, a gamble worth taking. Mm-hmm. But losing Mangala to me just seems seems harsh, like to, to get rid of a, a nailed-on starter. Now, when Sanger comes back, if they go Dominguez, Sanger, Danilo as a three, I do think that's their best midfield. 
but Sanger is not available just yet. So maybe they use Danilo as the six, which is where he played when he was playing for Palmeiras. And he is excellent there. Now, the physicality in the Premier League is a bit different, but he reads the game really well. Um, for Bournemouth, no James Hill, no Tyler Adams, no Oatara, uh, no Ryan Fredericks, no Max Ahrens, and no Darren Randolph, who I don't know what's gone on there. Um, Bournemouth, their form has dipped, obviously, because they had the back-to-back defeats to Liverpool and City and then obviously lost, or then drew at West Ham. But they're still ninth in the form table. Three wins, one draw, two defeats. Forest are 14th, two wins, four defeats. They played a few weeks ago. And if I'm not mistaken, Bournemouth won that game. Yep, Bournemouth won that game 3-2 at the city ground. Uh, Dom Solanke hat-trick. This one's in Bournemouth. I'm going to go for the Bournemouth win. We'll go 3-1. 3-1 to Bournemouth. Yep, yep, I'd agree with that. Um, Kind of an interesting game up next. Chelsea hosting Wolves, Dave. Chelsea were a abysmal in the middle of the week and Wolves just had a madness with Man United after an awful first half. But I think we discussed it on the post-match. I mean, if Chelsea, being all the lads who started and bring on some of the lads who came off the bench, I mean, it'd be tough to fit Nkunku, Chukwameka and, well, Gusto and fit in, all right, a right-back, obviously. But it's a difficult mix there and there's such a weird club to discuss. They are. They are. They're so strange. Like, that was a disgraceful performance, and they can cry all they want about not getting a, res- a, a, a decision or two. They got absolutely battered, and really, really and truly, it might have been the best possible thing for that fan base if they had lost 8-1, because it might have actually humbled them properly. They're still living in this deluded world that they might actually sneak into the top four. You're not very good at the moment, <laughs> lads, and that's just how it is. Um these sides played on Christmas Eve and Wolves won 2-1. That was without Pedro Neto, a late Matt Doherty goal. And then Nkunku scored late on to uh, make it look like Chelsea had actually had a bit of a go in that game. But Chelsea were terrible in that game too. Um, in the form table, <clears throat> Chelsea are fifth. They've won four of the last six and lost two, but they've had a very easy run. Wolves are eighth, <clears throat> four wins a draw. Sorry, three wins a draw and two defeats, including that defeat to United, where they were just terrible in the first half, absolutely terrible in the first half. So, if they'd played like they did in the second half, early doors, they probably would have blown United away. They also were denied. <clears throat> excuse me. They were denied a stonewall penalty. In the same situation, they were denied a stonewall penalty in the first meeting with United this season, which, you know, I mean, I know we ask for consistency, lads, but not consistently bad decisions, <laughs> PGMOL. Injury-wise, Wolves have no Huang and no Bubakar Traore because they're still off at the international competitions, and Chelsea are missing half the world because they've got so many players. Wes Fafana, Reese James, Marco Correa, Romeo Lavia, Robert Sanchez all out. Chalaba, a doubt, but the manager has shown no interest in playing him anyway. Levi Colwell, probably still out. Nicholas Jackson is back from AFCON. And Ugo Chukwu is out. 
Uh, Chelsea are at home. Wolves haven't travelled all that well this season. Only only three wins on the road from a. Do suit counter attacking football though. They do, they do with Neto and Cunha. If you if you allow them to sit in and invite you on, they can cut you apart. And Chelsea are slow at the back. Like, just Silva alone makes them really slow at the back. They're slow-footed in midfield as well. I still fancy Chelsea to win. I'll go 2-1 to Chelsea. Yeah, it's a tough one to predict, isn't it? But considering if Wolves win, they go above Chelsea. And that would put Chelsea in the bottom half of the table. You gotta start asking question. I know Poch is in a poison chalice type situation, but that number of talent there, you can't be set bottom half of the table. You can be underperforming because there's a million players to manage, but you can't be below Wolves. And if Bournemouth win their game as it was predicted, they'd be two points behind who were in a relegation mm. scrap a couple of months ago. It's unacceptable. Like United have been garbage this season. Newcastle have been really poor this season. And yet they're both still ahead of Chelsea. So you're right. I mean, you can underperform. You just can't be this bad. Like, you spent all that money and you've got 31 points from 22 games this year. Like, that's, it's just incomprehensible how, how much of a failure this whole thing has been there. And it's not a simple thing of, oh, well, let's go buy Victor Osman and that's going to sort all our problems out. That's not going to make you better at the back. It's not going to make your midfield function. Yeah, it might make you more potent in the final third, but it's no use if you can't get the ball to him. Like, Cole Palmer played up front against Liverpool and spent most of his game playing as an advanced right back because he wasn't getting the ball. So he kept dropping and dropping and dropping, looking for the ball. We've seen Nicholas Jackson play up front. And the same thing, he's dropping into midfield in search of the ball because they can't get the ball forward. Um, If they lose this and drop into the bottom half, like you'd really have to start wondering how many days Poch has left in the job. Not, not weeks or months, but days. I would imagine there was a phone call after that performance at Anfield because I know Bowley and Cole don't know anything about football, but I'm sure they know an ass kicking when they see it. Yeah. And I'm sure they watched that game and just thought, oh God. Yeah. Like that's that's the level we're trying to get to. And we're miles away. As I said to you and Carl on the post match, or it might have been on Raw yesterday, or on Scouted yesterday, I can't remember. If you said to somebody who knew football but didn't know anything but English football, that one of those teams was a Premier League team and the other was a League One team, like a third division team, mm. they would have they would have agreed. And they would have said, oh, that makes sense now. Now I understand why there's such a big gap. That's what it looked like. It looked like an FA Cup game between a Premier League side and a, a lower-end League One side. Like They looked like they wouldn't win the Scottish League at the moment. Yeah, it's such a weird thing. It's a weird thing. And there's always the possibility of a third Jose Mourinho spell. That's all I'm gonna say. It's definitely on the card. I've actually seen I've actually seen people float that idea. And you know, it might not be the worst idea in the world because at least at least he'll just simplify things. 
Mm. And at least he'll put players in positions they can actually play. We won't be seeing Axel de Sassi at right back, followed mm. by Benoit Badiashile at left back. We won't see that under Mourinho. Do it after the cup final. Although lads. you never know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep Partridge <laughs> of the cup final. Please. Please. Yeah. Um, uh, where are we up to? Man United, West Ham, Dave. Um, Man just, United. Just on Chelsea. Yeah. Just on Chelsea. What do you reckon the odds are of of Lampard getting another goal? Oh God! Next, I wonder can we get odds on this? Next, Chelsea manager odds. Right, gambling dot com. What have you got for me? Frank isn't even listed. So there's nine names here. Michelle Sanchez is number one. He's currently the manager of Girona. Then Jose. Then Xavi. And it would not surprise me at, at all if that's where they go in the summer and try and get Xavi because he's leaving Barca. Mm. Then De Zerbi. I don't think he'd take it because I think he's clever and I think he'd have looked at Graham Potter and thought, no, you're all right, thanks. I'm not doing that. Then Alonso. There's no chance he'd take that job. Then Thomas Frank. Again, there's no chance. Like, they're in West London. They, he will know the chaos that's gone on at Chelsea. He's not taking it. Then Zidane, he's not going to touch it. Then Ruben Amram, I'd be shocked if he took it. I'd genuinely be shocked. And then, number nine on the list, Rob Edwards of Luton. Honestly. I just don't see it. I think you'd actually Michelle Sanchez or Xavi Hernandez. That's who I think they go for, or that's who I think they get. Michelle might be on a promise of the city job post Pep, though. So just keep an eye on that one. Mm. I think they'll make an effort to get Xavi Hernandez because I think they'll again go name recognition rather than, and he's not a bad manager. Like he's not, he won a light league title last season with Barcelona. He's not a bad manager. But I don't think he's the type of manager that's needed for that job. What they need, what they honestly need is they need Antonio Conte. If I was them, I'd be going cap in hand back to Antonio Conte and saying, look, just come in and do your thing. Come in and and fix us, please. You'll have money. There's a big squad there. We'll sell whoever you want. We'll bring in whoever you want. There's a there's a good team there waiting for somebody. I think Conte might be that somebody. There's a lot of young players he will instantly not like. There is, but at the same time, like if you think about Conte's Juve team, right, which is still sort of the archetype Conte team, mm-hmm. back three. So De Sassi, Colwell, Badiashile, that might work as a back three. You've got Petrovic looks a decent keeper, so we go with him for now. Enzo in the Pirlo role, sitting behind the midfield four, just knocking the ball here, there, and everywhere, running the game. He 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 used Sesk in a similar way at times at Chelsea. In front of him, you go Reese James for the eight games he'll be fit on the right. I think Ian Matson becomes perfect on the left, but you've also got Chilwell. Caicedo and Ugachukwu or Lavia or 
Carney Chukwemeka or Conor Gallagher or Andre Santos. Any two of that group of whatever I've named there, six players, including Caicedo, any two of that group, I think you could you could probably form a decent midfield pairing of if you want to just go explosive dynamic box to box players, you go Andre Santos and you go Carney Chukwemeka and you play Enzo behind them. And you maybe have to say goodbye to Caicedo, but at least then at least then it, it takes care of some of the headache you've got. And then up front, you go Nkunku and maybe Jackson for now. And you just try and grind teams down and you try and overpower teams and just kind of control games, spoil games. You have enough individual talent there to create chances. In Nkunku, you've got a player that can score goals. If Jackson can be, do you know, like a foil for him, like a, a Diego Costa to Antoine Griezmann type, that might work. And they could bring Luke back for him. Oh, God. Oh, dear. I I, I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past He's him He's literally his dad. <laughs> um. It's so funny that Chelsea, Lukaku was at Everton. Chelsea wanted him. He went to United because Chelsea wouldn't pay the money. And then he went to Inter to play under Conte. And then Chelsea decided, oh, actually, yeah, no, we'll buy him now. And spent more than they would have had the first time. Um... That midfield would be, that team would be too young for Conte, I imagine. Mm. But I do think that kind of team would work. I do think, I think there's an 11 at Chelsea that works if they get everybody fit. Because there's just too much talent there for it not to work in one shape or another. It might take Fafana coming back and you go Fafana, Colwell and Badi Ashile, or the sassy Fafana and Badi Ashile, or Chalaba Fafana and, and Colwell or whatever whatever way you make it work but I do think there's a back three there that works James and Matson as wing backs I think works I think there's enough talent in midfield that you can find a group that works and then Nkunku and whoever up front can make it work but look it is what it is where are we going next you said something about Man United yeah well just before that I mean Harbour a guess where Pochettino is odd, like in in terms of number of this list, in terms of next manager to leave odds. Um he won't be first. I'm gonna guess fourth. Not lower. Lower? Yeah. Um Sixth. One out. Seventh? Yeah. Do you want to have a guess? <laughs> so Roy Hodgson's first. Okay, so let me, Roy Hodgson, Vincent Company. Yeah, two, two out of two. Ten Hag. Three. Dyche? Nope. Thomas Frank? Nope. Hmm. 
Chris Wilder? Nope. Oh. It's not going to be Klopp. No, God, no. I think I'm guessing they're suspended. No, no, they got yeah. odds on Klopp. Weird. <laughs> I might throw a bit on. <laughs> um, I might throw, throw a little bit. It's, it's 25 to 1, Dave. It's good money. <laughs> Is that next manager to leave? Yeah. So... In theory, you could throw money on Klopp, and if nobody gets sacked by the end of the season, you'd win because he's leaving at the end of the season. Well, so Klopp's 33 to 1, so yeah. Potts is 25 to 1. Someone's going to make a ball of money off that. Yeah. So I got three of the six ahead of him. Yeah. But Ten Hag, company, and Hodgson. And you get Hodgson. Um,. It's not Thomas Frank, it's not Sean Dyche, it's not Chris Wilder. Marco Silva? Yeah, that's one. Deserby. Yeah, that's another. Yeah, because there's been some buzz about him maybe not being too happy with the powers that be at Brighton over the last little while. Um right, do I go Nuno or do I go Moyes? They'd both be wrong. Oh, they'd both be wrong. You're missing it. Well, one of the teams we're about to talk about, and it wasn't Moyes. Ten Hag. I said Ten Hag. No. Oh, did you say Ten Hag? Oh, sorry. No, I, I, I said Ten Hag. So, no, yeah, yeah another, another manager. May, slight pressure. Maybe more in the summer. It's not Arteta. No. More, oh. more money, but less to spend. Oh, Eddie Howe, of course. Eddie Howe, of course. I don't know why I didn't think of him straight away. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I mean, Potch being seventh is ridiculous. Mm. Same odds There's as just Frank no and uh, Nuno. There's just no way that he's he's safer in his job. Like, Deserby would need to quit. Brighton mm. aren't firing him. Um. That's that's really strange, and he's the same age as Frank, the same price as Thomas Frank. Mm. That's ridiculous. Like, Thomas Frank is much safer in his job. Thomas Frank's only leaving if he chooses to leave. He's not getting fired. No way is he getting fired. Sean Dyche and Klopp, the same odds. That's what we like to see. <laughs> Merseyside United. Anyway, uh, we said no tangents today and we failed. So we'll move on to the next game. <laughs> um, Man United hosting West Ham, Dave. Uh, battle of the Europa League teams? Because you can't see either pushing onto the Champions League f- uh, five battling out for it, really. Yeah, neither of these teams have any chance of finishing in the top four. Absolutely no way. Um... United have been dreadful this season and they lost 2-0 when they played West Ham just before Christmas. They scraped by Wolves, obviously, the other night. They've got Martial out, Malasia out, but Amrabat is back. Lissandra Martinez is back, obviously. Wan-Bissaka, Lindelof and Mount probably still out for this one, but working their way along towards recovery. In the form table, United are 10th. 
uh, two wins, two draws, two defeats, negative goal differential, of course. And West Ham are fourth in the form table, three wins and three draws. So things very much looking up for West Ham. They are without Mikel Antonio and without Paqueta. Said Benrama is suspended. Naif Agard should be back from AFCON. Vladimir Sufal, I believe, is back from suspension. They sold Pablo Fornals yesterday. Um, I think he was the last remaining ember of the Pellegrini era mm-hmm. in that team. Mikel Antonio probably would be as well, but he wasn't a Pellegrini signing. Um, I'm going to go for... United don't really do draws, do they? Two draws this season. West Ham love a draw. I'm going to go the United win. I'm just going to go safe. United are at home. I'll go 2-1 with a spawny goal. Yeah, United to win 2-1. Scott McTominay scoring, got you. Um... 100%. 100% (laughs) that's who's scoring. Yeah. Um, big, Big one of the weekend. Then Arsenal hosting Liverpool, Dave. Uh, you've obviously done a full in-depth uh, preview over on AI if people want a more in-depth one. But uh, your thoughts on this game? Yeah, so in the last 10 games, Liverpool are top of the form table and Arsenal are fourth. In the last six games, Liverpool are second in the form table and Arsenal are sixth. Three wins, a draw and two defeats. They have not looked good in a while. Their last three wins, not very impressive in terms of who they've beaten. Um, they beat a Brighton team that are very wobbly. They did dominate them, but after going ahead, they could very easily have gotten pegged back. Pascal Gross missed a sitter. Then they went to Anfield and were very... Obviously, they'd lost to Villa the week before that. They went to Anfield and were very, very fortunate to get out of there with a 1-1 draw. They lost at home to West Ham. They lost away to Fulham. They did hammer Crystal Palace, but they didn't look great. Two set-piece goals and three counter-attacking goals when Palace were piling onto them. Uh, Then they beat Forest at the weekend. They played a bit better, but they struggled again to break down Forest. They've not been good going forward this year. They've only scored 18 goals from open play, taking away counterattacks. They're without Jurian Timber. They're without Thomas Partey. They're without Takahiro Tamiyasu. It's very unlikely that Fabio Vieira plays and Mohamed Elneny never plays. Liverpool, on the other hand, no Matip, no Besetic. We have footage of Thiago Alcantara in training, kicking footballs today, but I don't think he'll be ready for this one. Like footage of big... No Salah. It literally is. No Salah, no Simicus, but they're both really close. Uh, Alexis should be fine. Darwin Nunes should be fine. Um, Wichuruendo is away at the Asian Cup. Liverpool did beat them in the FA Cup at the Emirates only a few weeks ago when Liverpool went there without Van Dijk, among others. So Liverpool will go into this one confident, knowing that a win opens an eight-point gap on Arsenal. Um, and I'm 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 going to back Liverpool to win. I'm going to say three-one. Yep, big game, massive game. Um. Last game then, Monday, uh, Brentford-Man City, bogey team. That's probably why it's on TV. 
that's the entire reason it's on TV. Yeah, these sides haven't played this season. Their game was called off because City had to go to the World Club yes. Cup. Yeah. Uh, in the form table over the last six games, City are top, five wins and a draw. Brentford are second from bottom, one win and five defeats. Ivan Tony is back. Ivan Tony has caused City lots of problems before, but Brentford are still missing a lot of players. No Rico Henry, no Brian and Bomo, no Aaron Hickey, no Kevin Shade, no Johan Wiesa, no Frank Onyeka, and no Saman Godos. They do now have Sergio Regulon, though, able to play, which is is help. Uh, for City, Akanji is back. Everybody is fit. The horse placenta and all that good stuff is paying dividends. City will win this game, but it'll be tough. Brentford always make it tough on them. I'm going to go 2-1 to City. And that's the last game. And that is it. That is us for the week. Right, folks, we will be back on Tuesday. No podcast on Monday. It's bank holiday here. It's also my other half's birthday, and I'll be absolutely castrated if I attempt to work. So I will not be here on Monday. I will see you all Tuesday. Until then, take care. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Network.